one of the most important things that we do is we hear from God in his word. And so we're going to look today at the book of Acts. You know, we've been learning about the story of Acts and what God was doing in the local church. You know, that record is there for us so that we can see how the church formed, how it became a part of the reality in the world today. Of course, as we look back that, just like anything else, uh, even outside of scripture, we look back at history and we try to understand things from history. We try to learn from it. And this takes on a special importance whenever it's what God wants us to have through the inspiration of his Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look today at Acts chapter 5. Before I read that to you, you will remember that the church is experiencing a very um, big season of growth. Many people are coming to Christ. Miraculous things are happening. At the very least, there is some dynamic things happening within this apostolic age. People are being healed. Many people who are sick are not uh, healed, sick anymore. Things are happening. People are doing tremendously unselfish things like selling property, bringing it to the apostles so that those who are poor. I mean, this is just a dramatic movement of God that's happening in Jerusalem at this newfound church. And we find that today as is the case in every situation, when God begins to work and positive things begin to happen, good things begin to take place, rest assured, opposition to God's work will not be far behind. And so we're going to look today at a record of some of this opposition from Acts chapter 5. I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the public reading of God's word um, by standing together. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council. The full assembly of the elders of Israel, then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your, with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. Now I'm going to skip 10 verses basically uh, to down to 40 and it says the others accepted his advice. His advice was one of the leading Pharisees basically explains to the high council that we really need to let this lie. We don't need to continue to push. If you want to get that whole real read 30 through 39. But the, the high council accepted his advice so they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued teaching and preaching the message that Jesus is the Messiah. May God bless the public reading of his word. You may be seated. 
Now, we see here in this part of Acts chapter 5 the opposition to God's work that is being done through the apostles. Very interesting here, the Bible tells us that the high priest and his officials, and it specifically mentions the Sadducees. Now, I have to take every opportunity that I can to educate us and to teach us some of the history of the New Testament. As we preach through the Bible, we need to learn what is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the really, really conservative bunch. Very strict and conservative, all right? They believed that they needed to really get back to the law, and that's why they were driving around, and they didn't like Jesus because they felt like Jesus was too liberal for them. He was out there opening up God to all the sinners and all the bad folks, all right? So the Pharisees didn't like him. Then the other group of power players within the Jewish community were the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were more of the folks who had money, had power. They were in charge of the temple. They were, the priests came from the line of the Sadducees. They were seen as a lot. The Pharisees didn't like the Sadducees because they said they were Roman sympathizers. And they really tried to figure out how to work within the system, okay, so that, you know, the, the, the Romans wouldn't come in and impose any more rules and regulations on them. And these two particular ruling parties formed the Sanhedrin. And they were voted on it, and then they had different parties. So when you see in the New Testament the Sanhedrin, it's comprised of, of, of a whole group of Jewish people, the high council. Some of them are from the party of the Sadducees. Some of them are from the Pharisees. Now, it's interesting here, the Sadducees, at this particular point, they are very upset with what Jesus is doing because he is kind of shaking up, or not Jesus, but the apostles. They were upset with Jesus too. But they're upset because the apostles are shaking things up, and the Bible tells us, they were filled with jealousy. Now, I'll say all that, number one, to learn, because it helps us understand whenever we read the New Testament. But I just have to point out here, can you imagine being so disillusioned that you just went through whatever, let's say this is a six, eight week period of time where Jesus is crucified. You got all these people who are saying he rose again. You have a lot of people who are saying he did miraculous things. Then you've got these apostles who are uneducated people who are also now, at least, maybe you didn't see it for yourself, but people are talking about how he's doing all these um, amazing miraculous things and all these people are giving testimony to it. And that, that in, in light of all that has happened in this little period of time, can you imagine being so disillusioned from reality or disconnected maybe from reality that the biggest concern that you have is that you're jealous of the influence that those folks have instead of possibly saying did we do did we is it possible that we did what they're saying we did that we killed the son of god now i can't overemphasize this because it shows us how easy it is for human beings to get so disconnected from reality that you're out there in a world that makes no sense I mean, the, the reality is these people played a very critical role in crucifying Jesus Christ. And even after the, the evidence is building, it almost becomes insurmountable. They refuse to see that and they only see what they want to see. There's a lot of application here. People get so blinded by a lie or their own self-centered that there is no amount of evidence. There's no amount of reality that will help them come to light. The only thing that you can do is pray for them and continue on doing what you need to do. But they are very jealous, very upset, very 
off base by all measurement. But they're unhappy. So they have the disciples arrested, put in the public jail to figure out what they're going to do. And of course we see here they're put in public jail. When they go to jail, middle of the night, kind of reminds you of the story of Paul and Silas. What happens? An angel or a messenger of the Lord comes to them, opens the gates of the jail and brings them out. Again, a miraculous kind of event, unusual circumstances. The messenger tells them, go to the, go to the temple and give people the message of life. I want you to remember this because we're going to talk about it in a minute. It's going to be a good thrust of what we look at. In this moment when God is working, all right, the message that God's angel gives to these disciples is go to the temple and give the mess people the message of life. Now, I want you to just pause for a minute and think about how difficult of a message that really is, all right? Because bad things are likely to happen if I continue to go back there. We keep getting told not to do this. We've been flogged. We've been jailed. I mean, we're, we're not supposed to be doing this. And I can imagine that there are some within the group. Remember now, we've got a few thousand believers who are saying, listen, guys, take off. Let's let the air clear a little bit. Let's don't stir up the hornet's nest. Let's just, let's go back to Galilee. Let's go out there and try to build up the message and grow the church over with all the folks who left after Pentecost. I mean, you can imagine all of the things that people would say that you would say, that I would say. I mean, it's not going to be in my mind, okay, I just got arrested there. I've already been arrested once. At some point, I saw what they did to Jesus. I really don't want that to happen to me. So this is not, going back here is not ideal. But what is the first thing the messenger from God says? Go back there. Hey, the word you get from the Lord isn't always good. And it's certainly not always easy. And that's the word that these disciples and apostles get is go back to the very temple where you experienced tremendous opposition and tell them the message of life. Verse 21, so at daybreak they go back to the temple as they were told. They did what they were told. They go back and they start teaching. When they get there, we get another little snapshot here. What happens? The temple guards and the high priest and the Sanhedrin, morning has come. Okay, it says at daybreak. So morning has come. And now they have decided we're going to pull everybody together. Now they were just together at the time of Jesus, but they decided to come back together and figure out really what to do here. I think back in Acts chapter 2, the latter part, some of the council, not the whole council together, but some of them had, had kind of chastised Peter and John. But now, I mean, we got people who worked in the temple. Their job, really more than their job, their calling, their devotion in life, okay, was to be at the temple each day for what? for the sacrifices that would happen, for the prayers that would happen, for the things that would take place there at the temple, okay? All of the temple guard and personnel, they're supposed to be there to assist in this process. This is their role. Isn't it ironic that are at but the people who are supposed to be at the temple, supposed to do for God, they don't even know where the disciples are. Because they're where? The very place they're supposed to be doing their job. 
Now, I don't want to wait too much of this, but it, it serves as a great way to remind you and to remind me that when you start worrying so much about what other people are doing, instead of doing what you're supposed to be doing, man, you are very close to getting off track. And they were way off track. They're, 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 they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And as a result, ironically, the, the disciples are at their place teaching and doing something that they're really supposed to be doing themselves. So the guards come back and they're like, man, we don't, I mean, you know, this is a serious deal. And you remember the story in, in Paul and Silas, the, when, the, when the folks were about to get out because of the earthquake, the guard took it so serious he was about to kill himself because he was worried that he was gonna be responsible. So these guards, temple guards come back to the, they're like, we don't know where they are. I mean, imagine how goofy this looks. You got the whole high council here you got the temple guard saying, where is everybody? We don't know where they went. We had them in jail. And then somebody else comes in and says, wait, they're over there teaching at the temple, the very thing we arrested them for. So this is, this is a bizarre situation. Of course, they go get them. They bring them in there, and they're very upset. And of course, I'll skip the passage there where they, one of this guy comes in and says, look, don't, let's don't stir up the hornet's nest, if you will. Let's just... Let's just let this sleeping dog lie. And the guy illustrates a couple of different things from Jewish rebellions from previous times in history. And then ultimately, they accept that. They call him in. Tell him don't do it anymore. We know how that works out. They're just going to continue to do it, obviously. And interestingly enough, the apostles leave there after getting... By the way, some of you... Some of you a, little, a little pat on the... A flogging is not good. And... After the flogging, they come out rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Didn't stop them, didn't destroy their attitudes, and it certainly didn't stop them from continuing on with the mission. Why is this story here? Why is this recorded about the local church that is starting and these apostles? Of course, obviously, for information purposes, but we now ask ourselves, God, what do you want us to learn from this story? And I'm certainly not going to say that what these five lessons we're going to look at this morning are exhaustive, but I know that at least these five things are lessons we can learn from the passage today. The first lesson, if you got something you want to write this down, you can be on the screen. It's a, it's a, it's a lesson in life you ne really need to embrace because a lot of people are off track because they haven't really grasped this. And that's this. Number one, opposition to God's work is part of life on earth. Listen, when Jesus told the disciples how to pray, you remember what he said in that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What was the next line? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. What? As it is in heaven. See, God's will is not always done on earth. That's why some people are confused. Now, don't misunderstand. God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants to. But he's chosen to create a world where free will exists. And so his will is not always done. People do bad things. They hurt innocent people. Children die. I read a terrible story today or yesterday where a random accident, okay? Trucks driving down the road. Hits a four-inch rock, goes through a windshield, hits a 10-year-old girl, and kills her with a dad in a car. That's no good. I don't believe that's God's will. 
I believe that the forces of nature, the forces of free will are happening and bad things happen. Now, thanks be to God, amazingly, glory to God was given by this family's reaction and response to it. But opposition to God's work is part of life on earth. And don't get bogged down trying to make everything good because it's not. Opposition is going to actually rise the more that you try to do God's work. So in your life, if you've been trying to kick this habit, or you've been trying to start do this, or you've been trying to make this work, but you're doing it out of effort to obey God and to see him work in your life, more opposition is liable to come. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. And we see that here with these disciples. And it's very easy to get discouraged, but you can't let that get you off track. I mean, think about what a disciple, one of the apostles could have said, man, they gonna kill Jesus. Here we are here trying to help people. We're healing people and they're all, they're nothing. They're upset. They're beating us. They're causing us grief. They're causing us problems. You won't always understand why. Just know this opposition to God's work is just part of life here on earth. And it's going to all part of life on earth until this part of our existence is over and we're in heaven. That's one of the beautiful things about heaven. Look, some of you in this, you do opposition. And look, limited to that, heck, we got some pimps in, who are in law enforcement who do the wrong things, right? We got people who are in government who do the wrong things because what? We're all surrounded by a broken world. And it's a petri dish for opposition to come between choices and environments to what God is doing. This is a reality. But it's not the only reality. The next thing we have to remind ourselves that we see very clearly from the passage is that God is more powerful than the opposition. The New Testament Jesus disciples, and he's telling us we see he says greater referring to spirit, referring to God, than of the opposition forces, which is who? Forces of darkness. God is clear the opposition. We see that here. The high being used as opposition. God is doing. So they do what? They arrest the apostles. We got to shut these guys up. We can't have them going out and continue doing this. So we're going to throw them in jail. That's okay. You think God's bigger than the jail? Absolutely. And in this particular situation, God sends an angel to open up the jail. The jail's not going to hold God in. There are no forces out there that can hold God in. He created it all. See, a lot of people get lost and they think that there's like the devil and there's God and there are these dual forces battling. And while the devil does work in this world to oppose God, he's not on equal playing field with God. He's, he's nowhere near God. He's a created being. So he doesn't have the power to create and to destroy in the sense that most people give him credit for. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't have all the power. He, does, he can't be wherever he wants to be. Now, I'm not saying some people say the devil made me do it. Well, maybe it was some of the forces of darkness. I don't know that I'm even up high enough up the hierarchy for the devil to even worry about me. I don't know that. But his forces do. He doesn't have all the power and all the knowledge. 
You know, sometimes what you got to do is you got to quit giving the opposition all your research. You know, when you're struggling with something and when you're going through a difficult time, you might not need to be talking about that because the devil can't read your mind. The forces of darkness don't have the ability to go into your mind and see what you're thinking, hear what you're thinking. They only, he only gets that access to that when you let it out, either in when you speak or whenever you read something. So learn. Opposition to God's work that comes in the form of, the, of darkness, don't, don't give it all your research. If you're struggling with something, go to God with it. Don't necessarily go out to, any, go to other people with it unless they're going to help you. And rest assured, whatever you're struggling with, whatever I'm struggling with, if God's going to equip me to do this work, he has the power to help me see it through. If you're here today and there's something that you feel God wants you to do, absolutely there are tremendously powerful forces of opposition that will hinder you, that will try to keep you from doing it. But you can know this, God is more powerful than every one of those, whatever that may be. I hear people say all the time, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. Well, you can if you'll let God help you. And that leads us really to number three. Because in this particular situation, notice what God did. He opened the gate of the jail. But that's not the universal answer. Because Paul was stuck in jail. Because being in jail for Paul was really what God wanted so that he could carry out more of his mission. So don't get lost thinking that every time that something comes in and, got, and you get detained, maybe you, some sort of figurative jail in your life, it may be that that's what God's using in your life. See, we just want to get away from pressure. We want to get away from all negativity, and we, want, we don't want pressure. Sometimes pressure is what God uses in our life. He makes us a little more anxious. He puts us in a position that we're not comfortable with, because why? That might be part of his plan and of his mission. But no matter what he does or where we are, the number three reality is that following God's instructions is the key to success. If you want to be successful at God's work, you want to see him work, you got to follow the instructions. Now, what are the instructions? The instructions, we have a long list of instructions. They come from the scriptures. Now, we can get other instructions as God leads us, but they always agree with that. Are you following the instructions even when you don't like them? I mean, when the, when the apostles got the message. I mean, you imagine you're sitting in there, they, you're sitting in there, and you're thinking, man, I'm fixing to get another beating. I'm fixing to get another beating for doing the right thing. To get beat, and who knows? Crucify us too? Are they going to stone us? All of a sudden, you you see you see the angel, and you're like, yes. I doubted for a minute, but I, I God came through. Yes, He's busting us out of here. Man, let's go get him. We're we're out. And then what does He say? Go right back where you just left to the people who just put you in here, and I want you to go there, and I want you to even more fervently. One of the translations is stand stronger and preach the message of life. Like, John, Peter, did you hear that? I don't think I heard him right. What did he say? I thought he was saying we were fixing to get an easier path, something better, wealth, prosperity, abundance. Isn't that a better plan? Nope. Go back right where you came from and keep doing what I told you to do. Because we live in a broken world. We're broken. 
we create circumstances and situations that make doing what's right more difficult. And here's the crazy thing about it. The more wrong we do, which we all participate it becomes more difficult to do right the wrong we do. We're battling internally. We're battling lies we circumstances that are there. Doing what's wrong is not necessarily solidifying your mind. God, I want to follow. You're going to have challenges even if you've got the right intentions because you're broken and the world's broken. So you need to solidify that, wait a minute, I need to follow God's instructions to the best of my ability. He loves me. He's got a plan for me. Whatever it is in relationship to sexuality, in relationship to money, in relationship to friendships, in relationship to time management, in relationship to whatever. Man, if I'll just follow his instructions... There's no doubt in my mind that it's going to end better. Now, that's why the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us from our unrighteousness. Number four, a fourth lesson that I want us to take away very quickly is in your effort to do God's work, to be successful at all of these things. Don't get distracted by what the opposition's doing because they could be off track. They're going to give you accusations. They're going to falsely accuse you. They're going to try to distract you. They're going to rack people against you. Don't get distracted by what they're doing. And notice here the disciples, they didn't get distracted by what the Sadducees or the Pharisees or anybody was doing. Because they're going to always be working behind the scenes. You realize if you try to do something good in your life for God, there will be people who are going to be working behind the scenes to destroy that. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to use every tool in the tool belt. And oftentimes, they're going to be having some help from some of that supernatural opposition. Like, oh, you can't do that. You've tried a hundred times. It's just going to be another failure. Their life for God because they're distracted by what's going on politically. They're so worried about what the government's doing or they're so worried about what anybody else is doing that they've lost focus on what God's trying to do in their life. Look, don't put your faith and trust in the government. Now the government, we should vote and we should do everything that we can to help them make good decisions and be a part of the process. But look, if the government was the answer, Jesus would have come to help reform the government. Jesus wasn't worried about the Look, he could have done it any way he wanted to do. He knew that the solution to life's problems came as you And so you got to focus on what God is doing. You don't know what any forces in the government are doing. Focus on what God wants you to do. Look, there are people in your family who are very literally your opposition. They're opposed to what God's doing in your life. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that you abandon them. But you can't get distracted by what they're doing. They may have all sorts of ulterior motivations. You have to focus on what God is doing. Don't get distracted by the opposing forces. Don't hate them. Don't get bitter. Don't try to get them back. Just shift focus. Away from them and what? And we're done. Stay focused on Jesus. 
Look what it says here. We must obey God rather than human authority. They said the message of life was what? The message of life was what? That Jesus is the Messiah. That's what they're telling people. Jesus will give you hope to overcome. Can I tell you that if you'll stay focused on that message, it's unbelievable what God can do. Because see, if you stay focused on Jesus, no matter what opposing forces are gathering, you'll know that greater is he that's in me. Maybe some of the opposing forces, and I've said this before, but this is, this is reality, okay? Some of the most powerful opposing forces in your life aren't outside. They're in here. They're the lies you tell yourself. They're the things that you feel that are not based on truth. This is why there is such an epidemic of mental health crisis and different things like that, because there are tremendous lies and opposition coming from not just outside, but from inside. And so you got to be focused on Jesus to help you. Look, transform your thinking to renew your mind. Look, whether opposition is coming from outside, inside, there are going to be days when you're like, get down, it's coming from everywhere. I mean, it's coming from behind you. It's coming from in front of you. It's coming from inside you. But guess what? If you can focus on Jesus, let me tell you what will happen. All of that stuff will kind of fade away. I love that old song. It says what? The problems of this world will strangely what? They'll grow dim. When you turn your eyes what? Turn your eyes toward Jesus. And all of these problems, these struggles, they'll grow. They won't go away, but they'll sure get dim. In your life today, in my life today, what's, what's got the prominent focus? You ever looked at a scope at something? Some of you are hunters. And there's a, if, you, if you have a scope, a, a variable, you know, variable powered scope, so I have this one on my rifle. It's a three to nine scope. Some of you may know what that means. It just means it goes from three power to nine power. And if you, if you pick up the scope, I want to do this visually, but I figured it wouldn't be a good thing to bring a gun in here. You know what I'm saying? Not in this world today. So some of these police officers would get me or something. But um, so if, uh, if, if I picked up the scope and I look and it's close, all right, and I'm on three power, what I'm looking at right there is clear, but what? Everything that's further away is blurry. Well, then if I turn the dial, if I just turn the dial and I get it dialed in to where I want to go and it's way out there, guess what? What I'm looking at in the distance, now it becomes clear and focused. And what happens to all the other stuff that's close? It loses focus. Let me ask you this. In this little silly metaphor, if your life is a scope, okay, and the, the scope that we're looking through encompasses your life today, what are you zoomed in on? Do you have it dialed in to what everybody else is doing? The problems, the pain, the heartache, the negativity, the what could have been, might have been, should have been, all of that? Is that what you got it dialed to? Maybe you're worried about what's going to happen later. Listen, as a believer in Jesus, what I want you to walk away from today 
is I want you to take that dial and I want you to mentally, metaphorically, I want you to just dial it in and say, you know what, I'm going to get this focused on Jesus for a minute. And I want to look and I want to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to react to what's going on in my life? And I can promise you this. If you get your life dialed into Jesus, things are going to get a lot clearer. You're still going to have opposition. You're still going to have pain. It's not going to all go the way you want it to. You're not going to have loads of cash falling out your pockets. But it's going to get a lot clearer. And all that other stuff is going to make a lot more sense. If you zero in on that right there. Because that's what Jesus did when he was here for you. And what he did for me.